In this week's episode, you'll discover a great business story and some fantastic insights, including number one, how a clever Twitter software hack helped this week's guest to build a business whilst at uni full time. Number two, why knowing yourself and how to handle that is crucial to being successful in business. And number three, some vital hiring lessons learned after trying to scale a business too quickly. So stay tuned for all of that and much, much more on this week's episode of The Truth About Business. I'm Benjamin Brain, and by day I'm a director of a multi-award winning family run business. And by night, I interview successful business owners to share their journeys, experiences and truths to serve as inspiration, motivation and first-hand education for like-minded entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to fast-track our own business success. This is the truth about business, told by those who have been there, done that and have the scars to prove it. From the good times to the bad the marketing strategies and sales tactics to the productivity hacks and success habits. I'm here to give you the de-sugar-coated version of what it's really like and what really works. If you're thinking of starting a business or are already in business, I created this for you. So let's get started. But before we do, if you haven't left a rating for the show on iTunes, please do. It makes a massive difference and helps me to continue to create this podcast and spread our mission to more people. Big shout outs this week go out to Ross Marriott and Von Gorman, who said really easy to listen to and full of really useful information. And I look forward to the truth about business because it's crammed with real life business stories, open and honest advice from inspiring business people. And that's what we're all about. So thank you so much to the both of you. And if you'd like a shout out in next week's episode, you know what to do. In this week's episode, I sat down to talk business with Rob Twells. Rob is the owner of Frogspark, which is a highly regarded and successful web development and digital marketing business based in Derby. Rob started the business with his best friend when they were still full-time at university, and after many sleepless nights and some clever software creation, they managed to build a sustainable business that they were ready to attack head-on once both of them had finished at uni. Five years later, and they now have a team of 12, have built a very impressive portfolio of clients and have just celebrated six consecutive years of financial growth, posting a 118% profit growth over the last 12 months alone, without ever having to borrow a penny, and Rob is still in his mid-twenties. To find out more about Rob and the team, you can visit them online at frogspark.co.uk, or you can find Rob on LinkedIn under Rob Twelves, spelled T-W-E-L-L-S. I'd also recommend checking out his blog at blogspark.co.uk. This was another brilliant interview with a truly inspirational young entrepreneur who has a business mindset and outlook on life that far outweighs his years, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You know, success leaves footprints. So let's take a walk with an ambitious and driven entrepreneur and co-owner of Frogspark in Derby, Rob Twells. Rob, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. It's really great to have you here with us. Welcome. No problem at all. So my first question for you, Rob, is what is the speciality of you and your business? We're Frogspark, obviously. We are a full-surface digital marketing agency based in Derby. We've got a small office in Nottingham. We started out as primarily just a web business, and I'll sort of go into my background a bit more in a short while, presumably, but started out as just a web business doing websites and then slowly migrated into more marketing-based services, so your SEO, your PPC. But generally, all of our services lead into some sort of lead generation or some sort of brand awareness exercise, whether it's a website to generate more leads or an SEO campaign to bring you more website traffic. All leads back to them two things generally for us. And there you really, you've sort of answered my next question with regards to what businesses should expect to see as a result of using a business such as yours. It's generating more leads, increasing business. Nine times out of ten when a client comes to us, it's because they're lacking leads of some sort. That's what we like to do. It's better for us to be driving towards a goal like that because it's much more quantifiable in terms of driving more revenue. And once you start to drive more revenue, they start to see the the value in what you're doing. And therefore, you know, that relationship can grow then and we can grow our retainers, grow our projects, grow our client base. So, yeah, it's nice for us to shout about them sort of results because, you know, adding to the bottom line is really the best result you can provide for a business. And what's the one thing about your area of expertise that you think people should know, but you tend to find don't? Across the board, when it comes to marketing, I think a lot of the businesses I come across is they don't really spend enough time seeing what works for them they'll come to me and answer the phone and get an inquiry and they'll say we need SEO 
And I'll say, well, why why SEO? Because before before you know you know you know your goal, and that's generating leads, but actually SEO might not be your best use of investment at this time. So I think a lot of the problems I see is they think they want something, but actually that might not be the best use of their investment at the time. It's just that somebody, their mate who owns the business, has said, you know, you need some SEO, John, or whatever it may be. I think it's they think they know something, and I think also a lot of businesses have try something, but they don't try it for long enough. So they might have ran a Facebook campaign once upon a time or an AdWords campaign. It's not quite worked out. But actually that was really poorly set up, for example. And therefore they've completely lost trust in it and, and therefore won't invest in it again. But if you revisit it and get somebody who knows what they're doing to look at it, you might then start to see results. Okay. And can you tell us the story of a client where you've been in there and make a, a big difference and, and have generated some real good results for them? I was thinking about this earlier, actually, and there's obviously lots of clients that, that we've generated results for, and I could speak about some of the bigger companies we've worked for. So we do work with people like the NHS and the councils and sort of bigger companies like that. But actually, the one that I'm really proud of is a company called Debug, and it's only a sort of four-man company, and we've worked with them for about four years now. And the reason the reason I'm picking out this company is purely because they had not invested in digital marketing whatsoever, and actually, they knew nothing about it either, and it was almost me trying to convince them to do it. I said, look, just give, give us a chance. Like, well, I'm sure we can do something. And like I say, four years later, their website gets a load of traffic. They're generating leads, sort of four or five leads a month, which they're a sort of low-volume business, if that makes sense, but high value. But actually, the, the sales that they're getting are from sort of big companies like Sports Direct and sort of blue-chip companies, which is nice for us to see. And they're still coming each month, have the same meeting because we do sort of routine tasks for them. But for me, I don't really like to talk about what we're going to do for them. I like to just sit there, sit down and see the excitement from them saying, oh, yeah, we had a website and an inquiry through the website and that kind of thing. And and that, that's good. I, I think that's good for me because, you know, when you've been with someone for four years and they keep putting the trust in you, keep paying, you know, keep paying you every month and and we're still generating results for them, even though they've never invested in digital marketing. For me, that's, that's, that's nice to see. And what service or product do they provide? Oh, they're, they're occupational health. So they go in and do sort of drug tests and alcohol tests and drug, you know, all that kind of stuff. So when they get a contract, it's, it's quite a big one, especially if a company's got, I don't know, a thousand employees, something like that. So, it's, yeah, it's a big deal. And, and the return on investment they get is quite significant. Yeah, and for me, that strikes me as a, an industry or a type of business that traditionally you wouldn't associate with having a good sort of online presence. No, exactly. And actually, one of the biggest challenges we faced with them was if you type in any sort of like occupational health term into Google, you're up against sort of the NHSs and stuff like that just because of the nature of their business. So we had to find pockets of traffic that would work for them that the big boys weren't almost targeting. So grouping them together was actually a lot of volume. So that was an interesting tactic we went down. And, and yeah, it's, it's worked really well for them. And is there anybody out there right now that you hold high up on your list of people that are, are doing this well? Be, term- a, be it a client of yours or somebody that you admire? I, I split it into two ways. So one is sort of B2B, one is B2C. I think uh, I'm a big kind of brew dog, actually. So I'm into like my craft beers and stuff like that. And I think the way they market themselves is really interesting because they're quite aggressive. They're quite controversial. I don't know if you saw it last year. They ran a campaign called Pink IPA. Their headline beer is called Punk IPA. But for International Women's Day, they did, they did Pink IPA and marketed it as pink beer for women. And obviously that's going to rub up some people. But then other people find it funny. So I think the best form of marketing is actually evoking some sort of emotion, whether it's anger or laughter or whatever it may be. From a B2B environment, I think obviously you've got to look at people like, and we spoke about it earlier, like the Gary V's. Uh, I don't even know Stephen Bartlett at all. No, he runs a company called Social Chain, but they're very much. Oh yes, they're the big London agency. Are they the ones who convinced the world that Liverpool was signing a new football player or something? They like might that? have been. Yeah, that's what they sort of do. But I think what they do well is obviously the founders of the company are producing content, producing content, producing content. But that makes people want to work with them. If that makes sense, their marketing is already done for them. They don't have to really compete for business anymore because people are gravitating towards them as individuals, and obviously the teams that work below them. And I think they do it in a, well in a B2B environment. Now, obviously, nowadays, most businesses are, are aware of digital marketing. They've heard of social media and online marketing. But for the businesses that don't take advantage of that, what do you think the reason for that is? One is the trust in the process. I think there's a big thing in our sort of, you know, in agency world where people have got their fingers stung a lot in the past, essentially. So actually one of the first things you have to do when you get a new client on board or when you're speaking to a prospective client is build that trust talk with not only you as a business but actually what you're trying to offer them. SEO, for example, let's take that. Over the years there's been so many techniques, black hat techniques, all this kind of stuff that's put people off essentially. Loads of horror stories about you know people losing their own website traffic because of agencies using really quite dodgy techniques. 
And I think because because of that, essentially, you do have to build that trust back up with them before you even sold them your services and you as a business or you as a person. People are getting stung all too often, really, in our, in our, in our game, really. I think for me, especially nowadays, it just seems to be the last few weeks, whenever I'm on YouTube, every other video is promoting a course from some young kid yeah. on how to build a social media agency in 24 hours and be charging clients thousands of pounds for doing almost no work. And it makes it seem such, well, it's that typical get rich overnight yeah. scheme. But, you know, that's certainly not the experience no. that I find from most agency owners who have built a long-lasting, successful agency. Yeah, 100%. Again, another reason why it can be quite difficult in our world is, is because, you know, the barrier to entry in terms of owning an agency or even offering a service is quite low. I'm a testament to that, really. I'm, I'm probably one of them. I, I left university and set the business up straight away. I've never really had a real job, so to speak. You know, you get companies offering SEO for £99 a month or a website for 99 quid, And it does make it difficult for you then to, to turn around to a, a prospective customer and say it's going to cost 100 times more than that. But I think we try and promote outcomes rather than what they're actually going to get, if that makes sense. You know, what we're making them is not a beautiful website or a great SEO campaign. What we're promoting to them is something that reflects their business, something that's actually going to add to their bottom line. I think the best way to promote yourself as a business is to produce, you know, promote the outcomes. And if you could summarise for the listeners with one action that they might be able to go away and do to improve their online or, or digital footprint after listening to this episode, what would it be? I think marketing's a lot of trial and error, actually. The more you can do, the more you can see what works for your business, the more you can be aggressive in that if it works. And if it doesn't work, you know, to drop it. And over time, the more you do that, the more you iterate on all the marketing activity you do, you can sort of whittle that down to sort of two or three things that are driving the most revenue. Because that's the beauty of digital marketing. It's very data-driven. You can, you can quantify exactly how much you're spending on one activity and how much that's bringing you back as a business. So I think trial and error, learning, iterating... And trying to work out sort of two or three streams of leads, lead generation that, that really work for you. And then going into, you know, the next few months, you know, you can, if you invest X amount of money, you can take a pretty good guess that you're going to get X amount back and more. Now, we know about your speciality, Rob. I'd now like to find out a bit more about your own journey to launching the business and some of the challenges and the trials and tribulations that you, you faced on your way. So can you tell us your story leading up to the launch of Frog Spark and give us a bit of a summary of how it all kicked off and, and where the ideas came from and the sort of time frame between having those ideas and actually launching it. I'll start from university, I think, is the best place to start. So I went to Sheffield Hallam University where I was studying in software. And obviously as part of the software course, it was a lot of that was sort of the web website building, web coding, all that kind of stuff. And then just fast forward in a few years, I was on what's called a sandwich year, which is basically where you take a year in placement working for a software job. I went to work for this company in Sheffield and I had bad luck, basically. I didn't like it. I didn't like really the people I was working with. And it wasn't... I started to realise then that actually is is software, being a software developer, software engineer, right for me. And my business partner, Liam, is also my best mate or one of my best mates. He was having the same problems as me, really. He he was sort of in this software job and we're getting paid for a year, which is which is fine. And was he your best friend at the time then as yeah, well? Yeah, so we've been through school together, been through exact, exact same school, exact same college course, same university course, been basically attached at the hip for too long, basically. Wow. Um, yeah, and he was on the same problems. He was sort of, I'm just bored at work, really bored. It's not really engaging me. And this coincided with one of my brother's mates had a business and he knew what I did at university and he was like, oh, Rob, you do as a website. I think he chucked me 200 quid at the time. And it was quite complex and actually Liam was a bit better than me at what we did, to be perfectly honest. So I think I said to Liam, oh, just help me out, I'll split the money down the middle and we'll do this website. You know, it's a bit of pocket money, isn't it, at the end of the day? When you're at uni, anything, every little helps, doesn't it? We did that. It looked good. It looked, actually looked a little bit better than some of what the local agencies in Derby were doing. Honestly, it really was a case of me and Liam just sat there one night and thinking, should we just give it a crack? Honestly, it went from there. It, within about a week, we had a brand name, we had a website set up. And a lot of this stuff, I think a lot of business owners struggle with the sort of digital side of it. But obviously, given our background and what we did, we, we knew our way around setting up an email, setting up a website. And before you know it, we had this website that had a brand I think one of the good things we did do was put a brand to it we didn't call it like Liam and Rob website design or whatever it may be had a brand the website looked quite professional so we had a place to point people 
And obviously, I know there's a question in, in a moment about how we market our business or how we got our first client, but we started driving people towards that website using the same techniques we use now and managed to bag our first sort of paying client, so to speak, under this sort of frog spark umbrella. And it really went from there. And we were doing that all while working, working full time in that sandwich course as well. So 40 hours a week at work. And every night after work, I've rented a little apartment in Sheffield at the time, just working till God knows what hour in the morning every day. It was chaos. <laughs> How was that dynamic then? Setting up in business with your best friend. He's now your business partner as well. You're still at uni full time. You're creating a business full time in your spare time you two are spending a lot of time together mm. now most of the the guests that i've had on so far are solopreneurs they started on their own they're still on their own now what tips or advice would you give to other friends who might be thinking of going into business together particularly in those sort of student years there's two questions there for me one is setting up a business whilst you're a student and two is setting up a business with, with your mate essentially and i think I'll answer the first one first. Setting up a business at uni, for me, um, and I can only talk from personal experience, is I think it's a really good idea. And that's because, for me at the time, I had no financial dependencies, I had no mortgage, I had no kids. I didn't really have any anything that, you know, it was quite risk-free for me, essentially. So at the end of the day, when I came to graduate, if it worked or it didn't work, for me it was either, if it don't work, I get a graduate job. If it does work, I go full-time. Obviously, the latter happened, which is great. And then in regards to working with your mate, I think, first of all, you've got to be mates. You've got to be really good mates. Like, I, I probably wouldn't set up a business with somebody that I go for a few drinks down the pub with. Like, me and Liam grew up together. We spent a lot of time together. We annoy each other. We've fallen out a lot over the years, but we can make up the next day. It's absolutely fine. And I think, actually, the best thing about me and Liam is we are completely different people as well. Even to this day, I'm very much sort of business development, sales, all that kind of stuff, whereas Liam's quite hands-on, and he's happy to be like that as well. He reacts to situations much differently to me. I'm quite sort of, I, I worry a lot. I am sort of, I fly off the handle a little bit more than he does. I'm a bit more emotive, I think, in every, in every sense of the word, whether it's, you know, whether it's sad, I'm, re- I'm really sad. If I'm happy, I'm like elated, whereas he's very much in the middle at all times, and he sort of pulls me back. And yeah, I think it works well. I think if you've got two people like me or two people like Liam, it wouldn't work. We'd have a clash or not enough would get done. There would be no direction. So I think actually we just got lucky that we're two very different people with two different, very, you know, very different skill sets as well. Now the name Frog Spark, where did that come from? I'd love to give you some elaborate story, but there really isn't. So we did a bit of market research. We were looking around, you know, agencies in, in Derby initially, but also further afield in like Manchester and London. There was a few agencies, Manchester Way, that were called sort of Creative Spark and things like that. And there was actually an agency in Derby who still exists now. I won't name them, but they had an animal in their name, should we say. And we looked up to them at the time and really respected them. They were sort of doing the best work in Derby, in our opinion, at the time. So it got to a point where we had sort of Creative Spark and things like that on the table. And then this company that we really had my an animal that animal turned out to be a frog, and I really can't remember why. <laughs> and then we had a spark, and all of a sudden we got a frog spark, and we made a logo, and it was a little frog. It's changed now. Yeah, it's it's unorthodox. It's not that normal, but I think it does stand out in its own right sometimes. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier that from the very start you made a conscious decision to build a brand as a company rather than as individuals. What was the reasoning behind that? I'd love to sit here and say that we had this big idea to have a big business, but I don't think we did. I think sometimes you do do things subconsciously but later on down the line you think did we make that consciously I don't actually know but it turned out to be the right decision and that's just one of them things there was so many John and Steve web design and things like that I think we just liked the idea of having a name to it I think it I think being totally honest it made us feel better about it you know when we were making the business cards and had managing director on it and you kind of get a bit of a buzz off that when you first start don't you so having a brand name I think just made us feel like we were doing something a bit a bit more professional a bit bigger and that's really how that came about. Now, obviously, you guys have started quite young anyway. But for yourself, Rob, did you have or can you think of any entrepreneurial traits that you showed in your earlier years that may have flashed signs of you becoming a business owner later on in life? Yeah, there's quite a lot, to be fair. Now, now I think of it. We, we start, me and Liam started the business when we were only 20. And we've been full time now for five years. But prior to all of this, so there's a few different things, really. So I used to buy and sell Apple Macs off eBay. So and again, you have no idea at the time when you're doing this that this means that deep down you probably do want to be a business owner in some capacity. But I used to go on eBay and buy sort of MacBooks that are sort of broken and things like that for like, I don't know, 100 quid. 
I'd get them, I'd fix them up, I'd sell them on for three, four hundred quid. So I was, I was making decent money at sort of fifteen, sixteen. It wasn't bad. I was, I got stung though. I didn't insure a parcel, and somebody claimed they didn't receive it, so I ended up losing like six, seven hundred quid. So I ended up parking that. But alongside that, both me and Liam had our own sort of freelance web design gig through college and things like that. So I think we always deep down had some sort of desire to to work for ourselves, and I think deep down, I think we knew that there was an opportunity for us to to earn an income by doing something that wasn't, you know, employment via somebody else. And at what age did you first start actually building websites? So first website would have been probably 16 or 17, so back at college. We studied at Joseph Wright College in Derby. Had electrical, a guy called Graham Goff, who's still got me on Facebook now. They wishes me happy birthday, my birthday and stuff like that. And that, that's really how we learned how to do it. I think actually before that, at school, we might have dabbled a little bit, but not to sort of a, a commercial website standard if that makes sense yeah sure and is there a history of any family business owners there isn't there isn't so most of my family are just in in normal jobs they they, they all do really well don't get me wrong however my my granddad was was quite a successful businessman actually so he had a building company obviously through the 50s 60s and 70s and 80s even to the 90s he worked till he was too too old basically but yeah a really successful business company he actually built the swimming baths at Loughborough near the Olympic pools so his company built all that, uh, had a lot of property when he retired. And again, you don't think of it when you're young, but actually seeing your granddad grow up and he's got the latest Jaguar and he's quite a smooth guy, all that kind of stuff, I think it does sort of plant some seeds in you as you're growing up, doesn't it? So yeah, I was around that a lot and he was he was really successful. And now obviously you were building this business whilst at uni. When it came to the point of leaving uni and making that decision whether to continue it as your own business with your business partner and your best friend or go out into the big wide world and get a job. How certain were you that this was the right path? And what was the feedback from family and friends? Did they support you or were they opting for the more sort of cautious, go out there and get a job and keep doing it? We managed to get a good a good few clients under our belts, essentially. There is a story about one particular client we, we, we got. So we used to have this tactic where I would set up some searches on Twitter that just said, looking for a web developer, looking for a web designer. And there'd be hundreds of people replying to these tweets each day. So me and Liam built some software, obviously being software developers, that automatically responded to all these tweets asking for a web developer, saying, yeah, yeah, we can help see our website. And actually, before you know it, because hundreds of tweets were being sent out each day whilst we're in lectures, because it's all automated, our inbox was just full of inquiries all the time. It, it was really, really ridiculous. And by the time we'd come to graduate, we always said... If we had enough money in the bank to pay our wages for six months, and we, don't get me wrong, it wasn't we weren't earning a good salary after university at all, but you know I think we had fifteen twenty grand in the bank, and we we were like, okay, well, we can pay ourselves quite comfortably for six months here, and that gives us a six month window to try and make this into something that's actually sustainable long term and things like that, and that's what happened. We we had the money in the bank. It was more or less risk free at that stage because the money was there. And we built that client base throughout university. Luckily, we never had to go down that path of sort of, mm, shall we or shall we not? Because actually, we already set a threshold of how much money we wanted to be able to pay ourselves quite risk-free. Okay, and when you first started, I would imagine that this line of work is quite competitive when you are pitching to a client. There's many other agencies that have pitched as well. So particularly in those earlier days, with you not only being the new kids on the block, but quite young new kids on the block... How did you win business over perhaps some more established businesses? Straight out of university, went full-time. And our first thing following that was getting some local awareness because we had no local awareness. As I said, it was all through that Twitter exercise I was explaining to you earlier. And do you still have that running now? Just out no, of interest? no, no, no. no. <laughs> he doesn't drive the right sort of client at all. So, yeah, we started joining, and I'm, I think... A lot of people have said this on your podcast, Ben. We started joining a lot of networking groups. And I turned up to the first networking group. I was in sort of a shirt. It just wasn't me at all. I'm not really that kind of guy at all. Really nervous. What do I talk about? What are we going to talk about? That kind of thing. Walked in the room. Clearly the youngest people there. But after sort of two or three, I think me and Liam let our guard down a little bit. I think we started saying to ourselves, actually, instead of trying to cover up who we're not, why don't we just play to our strengths and be who we are? So... You know, after two or three hours turning up, T-shirt, got full sleeve tattoo out. I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't hiding anything. And actually that worked really well for us. People started to get to know me and Liam. And all of a sudden, before you knew it, we were kind of known as the two young lads who were just starting out who do marketing. And, you know, 
it's probably not where you want to be long term but actually being known for someone who does marketing whether you're young or just starting out or not we are the two guys that do marketing so all of a sudden we had a few people from you know our networking groups getting in touch with us and we started to put local presence that way I think one of the most important things we got from the networking groups was press contacts actually so anytime we anything positive happened in the business we were able to push that out to the press and if you're connected with me on LinkedIn or Twitter or anything like that you'll know that I like to talk about Frog Park a lot so any sort of press we get I'm retweeting it I'm posting it I'm posting it but some people don't like that but it does get eyeballs on you at the end of the day yeah and if you're um, not going to blow your own trumpet then well, well, who else is I try not to make it arrogant because it's not arrogancy at all uh, it is just building awareness for ourselves but yeah once you've started got that sort of ball rolling with talking to different people mixing with the right people you're getting some press distributing what you're doing all the positive stuff you're doing and you're distributing it as well people will start to take notice and that's really what happened for us yeah and i think one of the interesting points that you've talked about there is when you first started networking those attributes or or things about you and your partner that you thought may have been a detriment to winning business actually turned out to be a positive and like you say just being yourself was actually one of the best things that you could have done because i'm sure there's a lot of people who are in a similar position thinking of starting a business or starting a business and are looking at that networking option but are so concerned about what people are going to think of them how they should look how they should dress how they should act but actually just be yourself and you'll be fine yeah 100 percent. we were really conscious of that because like i say we were young we were inexperienced at the time we didn't really have we had a, a client base but nothing nothing to really call home about i sort of you know i was really conscious of my tattoos at the time but i didn't realize how common it was and yeah we, we did look young as well we just left university we're mixing with people who are really successful at the end of the day and yeah it does just turn out that being yourself and not even talking about work i used to go to a networking event and say oh did you go to the match at the weekend and just build a personal relationship with people people start to get to know you and it, you know it might have taken six months to get a contract out of somebody but that's six months of building almost like a friendship with them and you know getting their trust to you know make a transaction with you now, thinking back to those first 12 months of business, obviously we've said now you're five years on after leaving uni, so there's been a, a good few years in between now and then. Can you think of what was perhaps your biggest challenge during that initial 12 months? Was there anything in particular that stands out? It was a good challenge, actually, because actually we got to the point where the work got so overwhelming for us. We had that much work on, but we were absolutely petrified to hire anybody. It was always mining limbs little baby we didn't really want to let anyone in and i don't mind admitting this it got to the point where we had that much work on we almost started to let people down because we couldn't meet the expectations that we'd set out for them we were making really good money at this point and we could have employed somebody and i think it took both me and liam being burnt out to actually understand that so it did actually to our own detriment affect our own sort of health really we were losing sleep we weren't eating right we weren't sleeping enough we were just constantly stressed out and I think it got to the point where you know people around us could see it family were saying you need to you know you need to really settle down a little bit you know work's not be on end all but we were so ambitious and young at the time nothing can stop you can it and we did actually take the leap to employ somebody but that 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 was probably the biggest challenge in the first 12 months just understanding having that self-awareness to say we're actually letting the business down by not letting somebody in if that makes sense yeah absolutely absolutely and how many have you grown the team to now so we've got 12 right now we've had lots of sort of ins and outs with the business with people over the years of course but yeah we've got a really really good team now one of the things we've tried to focus on is not scaling too quickly i think we've made that mistake in the past you know a couple of years back we we hired quite aggressively but i don't think we had the foundations right i don't think you can double something and then double something again and double something again unless you've got that first layer right and ours wasn't right at the time nothing went wrong you know financially or anything like that but i think actually it was all about getting the right process getting the right people who buy into the right values and i think we've got that now and we're ready to, we're ready to go really into the scaling and what are some of the skill sets or attributes or even beliefs that you look for in people when looking to bring them on board so our recruitment policies changed significantly over the years so I think it's gone through probably two or three iterations now. So iteration one was more about can we be mates with this person, which is a complete wrong way to look at it. You know, (laughs) me and Liam, you know, 21, 22, employing people, which is just, we couldn't fathom at the time. And the first person we brought in, it was actually the emphasis, wrongly so, was about, you know, getting to the office, having a laugh, playing ping pong and having somebody that, you know, we can get on with. And that, you know, worked for a certain amount of time. But actually when, when it comes to putting them boundaries in place in terms of we've really got to work hard now, it was difficult for us to enforce that. 
that was one approach that just didn't work right for us. The second approach was probably complete other way. So just looking at skill set and not looking at how they were as a person. So then we had different problems. They could do the job, but actually in terms of a culture fit to the business, not quite there. So now our policy is very much about a mixture of the two, really. So one of the key things we do is we always make sure that when we're interviewing, there's always somebody that's either going to be their line manager or, or at least working with them closely on a day-to-day basis is going to be in the interview. So that's the first thing. So they can kind of judge how they're going to be to work with, how they're going to fit in the team and skill set. But we're also assessing what their work ethic's like and stuff like that, as much as you can. And we always do a one-day trial as well. So we always get them in the office for for one day, just to see what they're like around the office, uh, make sure they're fitting. Because I think you can you can teach skill set at the end of the day, as long as you've got a basic understanding. I don't think you can teach somebody to fit in with the values of a company, uh, or at least it's very much more difficult, I think, as well. And I think, again, that's a process we've worked really hard on. I think it works really well. And the last sort of three or four hires I've had in the business have been really successful, really good people. And what are some of the things that you do to attract great people? And once they're here, actually keep them on board? Because it must be, I presume from an outsider looking in, a fairly competitive industry, not just in terms of competing businesses, but competing for good people as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, in terms of attracting good people, we've been really lucky over the years. We've, we've never actually paid a penny to a recruitment company ever. A lot of it is off base, based off brand awareness. A lot of our marketing we do online is partly to with you know, recruitment and, and bringing in good people. Obviously, the majority of it is about raising awareness and lead generation and stuff like that, as you can expect. But we do consciously make sure that we've got a good sort of strategy in terms of showing what it's like to work at Frostbox, showing what it's like internally, showing what the day-to-day is like. And that's actually attracted a lot of people to apply and say, I want to actually work at Frogspot, which is great to see for us. So over the years, I've always kind of had somebody two or three applications already in my inbox when, when we're considering hiring for a position that I can go straight to. They've already showed an interest in working for Frogspark and we go to them and you know, they're still keen. I've never had the point where, and I'm sure I'll face it, I've never had the problem where you know, we need somebody in desperately and we just can't find anybody. I think we've got a good name for ourselves in Derby in terms of how other businesses perceive us but actually how people in the industry perceive us as well. So a lot of it's down to the brand. Yeah, and even looking at your website, you know, you can see you've got really nice modern offices. You've got great pictures of the team who are smiling and enjoying what they're doing. You've got Chip the dog who's in there as well. (laughs) What are some of the other things that you do that thinks helps to retain these great people once you've brought them on board? I think one of the key things we do is is actually sharing the journey. We don't hide the fact that whilst we've been doing the business now for five five or so years, we're not shy about the fact that we're still learning. Me and Liam, we make it very clear that me and Liam, you know, we employ people a lot older than us now. We're very clear about the fact that we can't sit and expect them to keep evolving in their role in terms of learning new marketing techniques. We're very open about the fact that we're always learning how to evolve as business owners as well. So I think we share that journey really well. We share our results financially. We share our results with, you know, sales pipelines, new business, all that kind of stuff. And I think that makes them feel really invested in the in, in the business itself and the journey. But alongside that, we you know, we put a lot of trust in them. Again, we make it clear that if they do make a mistake, then it's absolutely fine. We make a million each day. We work through it together. They've got our backing to do what they want, as long as they, it's the right decision by the company. And they've all got their roles and responsibilities, and, and, and we all know that. And it's taken a lot to delegate this kind of stuff out, of course, as you can expect. But I think we all trust each other. We all back each other. We, we actually, you know, people say, oh, I've got my team. We, we've got a team. Like, we work together as a team. We do try and make it feel like we're all on this journey together, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a great team to be a part of, and certainly from my own experience as well, having that real strong team in terms of producing results, that is the secret ingredient. Now, which parts of the business do you enjoy the most? If you could just pick maybe one, two or three activities that you would love to spend all of your time on, what would they be? It's a bit of a joke in the office, really, but I'm, I, I love being the flag bearer of Frog Spark, basically. I like to think, and this is not meant to sound arrogant at all, but I like to think that if people think of Frog Spark, they, they think of me at the same time. I'm the mascot, I'm the advocate. But in terms of actual business-related tasks, I'm, I'm very much, I do all the sales still. I've done all the sales from when we were little to when we're sort of sizable now. Still do all the sales. I, I could probably do with a sort of right-hand man, to be fair, but I ain't got one. <laughs> but sales, sales and marketing for me, I, I like I like promoting Frogspot, raising awareness, showcasing our results, bringing people into the pipeline, and then, and then hopefully getting to the point where they're agreeing to work with us and, and meeting all the people that I need to meet along the way. And, and they're the two 
core things I look at really on a day-to-day. And, and which parts are you not particularly fond of? Which parts do you like to delegate? So if I'm being totally honest, I am probably not the best manager, if I'm being totally honest. I sort of keep my distance from from that, if that makes sense. So I've got people like Liam who are much better than that than me. I've got a guy called Scott. They do sort of like staff reviews. They sort of send out tasks and stuff like that. I'm, I'm much better at reporting on the positive news, if that makes sense. I'm better at telling you know, the staff how well we're doing or if we bought on a new client, delivering news like that. If the going gets tough and maybe we have to give out a bit of a slap on the wrist, that's that's not my bag at all. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes doing that. I've sort of I've upset a few people and things like that, which, I'm, again, I'm not afraid to say. And, again, it's just understanding who I am as a person. As I said it earlier, I'm very sort of emotive about every situation, whereas Scott and Liam are a bit more level playing field with it so they sort of take the lead on on, on on sort of people issues so we say so rob you've you've been in business as frog spot full time for five years now plus the years that you spent building it up in your own time at uni what's been your proudest or best memory or biggest success in the business so far it's probably two years ago now so we moved into our office two years ago it's darley Abbey mills in derby it's a great place to work Tough decision to move there, actually, because it was vastly more expensive than what we were paying for before, all that kind of stuff. And it was kind of a bet we were placing in terms of we're getting a big space, we need to fill it with people now. So it was about a month before we just signed the lease, we had a month until we moved in, and we were bursting at the seams again. And I think, I actually remember me and Liam were sat in Starbucks on Little Eaton Island, and we said, what are we going to do about this? We haven't got enough people to do all the work. And for some reason, I can't remember the exact reason, but we just decided to hire, like, just go get really aggressive with it. We hired, like, four people to start the day we moved into our office. So I remember we moved into the office and we had four new people start on the same day. And all of a sudden our team had gone from, I think it was, like, seven to, like, 11 or whatever it was at the time. And I remember standing in this great office, looked great, looked look what how I had imagined it would look when I first started the business five years ago. People that I didn't really recognise in the room, and I just this, I was thinking, this is this is mental. Like this is our business. I can't, I, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, couldn't believe it. Yeah, we had a big team, all all doing their own thing. Everyone, it was the right buzz about the place. Nice office. Really proud of the office, which we you know we weren't proud of the office that we had before. It's a place to work at the end of the day, but now it was a place to bring customers. It's a place that you know where Frog Spark is, where team, team the team were like, oh, it's great, it's the best place of work. Like in terms of the environment so yeah that was nice yeah it sounds like a real sort of pinch yourself moment it was a bit yeah it's a bit odd now if you could go back to day one of your business let's take it back to when you went first time and you could pick one thing that you could do differently what would it be i think i touched on it earlier i think we would hide a lot earlier there was a period of about four or five months where externally things were going really well people were talking about or people were singing our praises a lot actually which is strange in itself, you know, given we'd only just left university. But I think beneath the bonnet and beneath sort of the, a lot of the clout that we're getting, that we're getting spoken about to us, we were letting a lot of people down. And I think despite people singing your praises and people think you should feel good about that, but we knew deep down that we weren't doing what's right by the business and we knew it wasn't the right way to go. So I think we would have hired a lot, lot sooner. I think we would have placed our bet a lot sooner. I don't think we... You know, because you don't really feel real. You just left university. It was kind of me and Liam. You, you know, hiring somebody's a million. Yeah, all of a sudden, it's yeah. a it's a different it's a different ball game, isn't it? You it's are a million employed miles away. somebody. Yeah. yeah, it's a million miles away from where we thought we would have been, and it happened so quickly. But it's not the worst problem in the world to have being bursting at the seams. But it wasn't nice to let people down at all. And what do you think the lesson is there for listeners who might be in that similar situation? Yeah, you could say the lesson is higher quickly but actually I think the lesson is to to back yourself more than anything I think you've got to back yourself maybe we didn't back ourselves because you know you you hire your first person you've got whatever you whatever you're paying that person in terms of salary you've then got to fill that in sales and it's difficult the first time around it's a bit more seamless now you you know now you've got a process now you've got history that tells you what's going to happen now but when you do it for the first time it's it's ridiculously scary You, you you almost feel like you're taking on someone's mortgage and you're taking on someone else's kids and dog and all that kind of stuff and you do feel it It, people say it and if you're not in business you probably think it's a load of rubbish but it's not you feel it every day and what does the future look like for frog spark i mentioned earlier we're scaling what we've got now we feel like we've got what we've got now really works well we've got a really consistent lead and sales pipeline which we're converting well on but in terms of things we'd like to explore you know we're really looking quite closely at e-commerce at the moment in terms of how people are buying online where they're buying online the experience they have when they're buying online and I think that's going to evolve so, so much over the next sort of two to 
five years, I would say. And we're just trying to make sure that, that we're sort of not at the forefront, you know, we're not, we're not the next Amazon or anything like that. But actually in terms of how we can help small and medium-sized businesses be at the forefront, I think we can, we can really be, be a key player there. And that's, that's where we're focusing a lot of our time at the moment. It sounds exciting. It sounds like there's a lot of changes coming up for, uh, for like always. you say, particularly for small to medium-sized businesses to be able to compete with these larger companies. 100%. And what about yourself, Rob? Have you got any sort of personal long-term aspirations or, or goals that you're working towards? Well, the last, last 12 months has been quite a turning point for me as a, as a, you know, as a person in business because actually roll back, I don't know, two years, I was still getting in this, you know, the website projects or the marketing projects and actually working on them as well as part of the team. This last 12 months have been the first 12 months where my sole role, because we've obviously brought in people that do what I used to do in terms of design and development and stuff. This last 12 months, I've been solely on business development. And it has shown, you know, we had a really good year last year. I think it was a 35% increase on revenue and over 100% on profit. So it was a really good year. And it just, again, it just Amazing goes... Amazing year. Yeah, good year. And that's really where my interests lie. I'm, I'm like you, Ben. I'm passionate about business. I'm really into business. Not that I'm not into marketing. I love all that sort of stuff, of course. But I just know there's better people out there that, that, that we can employ and bring in that have Frogspot values that, that can do that on behalf of the sales that I, I might bring in. So, yeah, the last 12 months have been a real big turning point. And that was a goal of mine a few years back. I never... When you're in the thick of the work every single day, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But to think two years on, I'm pretty much just client relationships, sales, business development is a really positive thing for the business. Going beyond that, like I say, just just scaling what we've got, I'm really happy with, with where we're at, to be perfectly honest. I can't see anything in the sort of short term in terms of, you know, dipping out of business or selling up or anything like that. I can't see any of that. I'm really happy with the team. I love coming to work each day. Everyone gets on really well. And what could you want? Absolutely. Sounds like you're at a great place. So you've mentioned there you're passionate about business. So that's something I'd like to dive into a bit more and find out more about Rob, the entrepreneur slash business owner. So could you describe what a typical day looks like for you? Not that exciting to be perfectly honest, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite an early riser, more so in the summer. These dark mornings are killing me off at the minute, but uh, I, I like to get into the office anywhere between sort of seven and a half past. Most of the team don't start between you know eight or, eight or nine, so it's a bit of time for me just to sort of settle down. I plan each day as it comes. I work through, it's mostly filled with, with meetings, to be perfectly honest, a lot of meetings. I always go to the gym every day at three o'clock. Exercise really, really helps me. It's that hour away from work, phones on airplane mode, headphones in. I've got a gym on site at the office, which works really well. because so that's my hour out. That sort of helps me sort of level level out. If I've had a stressful morning, go to the gym. And yeah, get back from work. I have to be honest, I'm probably still on my laptop till 7, 8 o'clock every night still. But that's through choice, whereas three or four years ago, it was through necessity. So yeah, I'd probably switch off about 7, 8 o'clock and then me and the missus and Chip put the feet up and watch some Netflix. <laughs> uh, and are there any routines or, or habits that you like to stick to? You've mentioned gym there as one of them, a staple part of something that you're not prepared to sort of sacrifice that you feel have contributed towards your success so far. Whether it's contributed towards success or not, I don't know. However, exercise and sort of eating healthily uh, and, and more recently sleep have become, I think, more important than ever for me. I've always sort of ate well and, and, and exercised. It's not really like a superficial thing. It's not about having a certain look. It is literally for, for my own sort of sanity a lot of the time. It's nice for me to get out of the office for an hour and just have that time on my own. Don't book any meetings in between them times. I, I stick it in the diary so it's there every day. Eating healthy, I just, I, just, I just operate better when I'm eating better. But in terms of sleep, as you can expect, the early days of, of running the business, sleep you know, kind of comes second and you don't do a lot of it, to be perfectly honest. You're working late nights, you, you're getting up early mornings. But I think now... I've started to realise that actually I can, I would rather work a 12-hour day at 100% or 90% than a 16-hour day at 70%. So that sleep is actually more beneficial. I work a lot smarter rather than working longer, if that makes sense. How many hours do you like to get in sleep? It's fair, we're in bed pretty early, we're sort of 10, 11 p.m., get up at 6. That's, that's a good run for a business owner, I would say. Yeah, so a good seven hours a night. Yeah, seven, eight hours, not yeah. bad. Yeah, and I think anything less for me, I start to struggle. Yeah. If I have a really stressful morning, but I know I've, I can dip out for an hour, turn my phone off, um, and just get that hour in, no distractions, it, it really helps me set up the rest of the sort of day's work, if that makes sense. Sort of recalibrate and then come back yeah, and refocus. 100%. Yeah, definitely. And what sort of things do you like to do when you do get some spare time? N- nothing, nothing major. I've really learned how to switch off over the last couple of years. So again, I think it is, again, 
testament to the team we've got now as well, actually. I don't feel like I've got to take it all on on my own. I don't feel like it's all on my shoulders anymore. And that was a lot to deal with when, when you feel like that. So actually now, I do take probably 90% of weekends off. Saturday and Sunday, no work, don't even think about it. Laptop doesn't even come up, not for work reasons anyway. Sunday night, I'll, I'll plan the week because it makes me feel better. It makes me end of the week in a nice way. But Saturdays and Sundays is all about taking the dog for a walk, all, all the typical stuff you do with, with, with your fiancé or wife or girlfriend. Currently moving house and planning a wedding, so that's taking up a lot of time at the moment as well. But yeah, we just keep ourselves busy. I can switch off. I can switch off now, which is good. And it's, I couldn't say that a couple of years back. Yeah, see, that's to me, that seems something that you've really managed to master at quite a young age. And, you know, a lot of the people that I speak to and even guests on the podcast, it's something that they still really struggle with, whether they're on holiday or whether it's just the weekend, is actually mastering that skill yeah. of being able to switch off. Yeah, I remember, you know, a couple of years back, the laptop would come with me on every holiday. If I was going away in the week, for a week in the sun, every morning between 8 and, I don't know, 11 a.m., laptop up, sending emails out. It was half working holiday, and it wasn't healthy at all for me. It's not healthy for anybody, I don't think. Now, the laptop doesn't come on, autoresponders on. I am at the point now, luckily, that the business can operate without me. You know, it doesn't. they don't really miss me when I'm gone, put it that way, which is good. I think that's actually a perfect place to be as a business owner. Once you start seeing those sort of things happen, that's when you know that you're onto something good, I think. What's been your biggest challenge in business so far? We talked about those earlier years and it was about backing yourself and bringing the team on board when you needed them. If you could have a look over your whole business career so far, what would it be? Biggest challenge, uh, and I think I speak to a, myself and Liam, a business partner when I say this, was probably about three years ago we had a team. I can't remember how many was there was of us, but we had a team that almost turned quite toxic. They were quite against us. And again... We have to hold our hands up and say, look, we were, we were young, 22, 23, trying to run a, run, a, run a team. And I think it was that friend thing I mentioned. You know, one minute we were friends and the going got tough and maybe Liam, me and Liam turned a little bit too quickly, that kind of stuff, and we had to work hard. But we had two or three people in the building that just, you could tell they didn't want to work for Oxbar. They could tell they didn't really respect me or Liam. And it did get to the point where actually coming into work each day was, was really quite tough. Like, you know, it was a hostile environment to work in. And I would say that was the toughest one. We're very lucky in the respect that we've never touched wood and hopefully won't, have never faced any sort of financial difficulty in the business. We've never taken investment or anything like that, but we've never we've grown year on year for six years now basically. So that's you know, that which is good. That's amazing. To yeah. say that you've grown year on year for six years and, and never received any financial help or no, been in any no, difficulties, no that's, grants, that's astounding. Loans. So we've never actually had any any financial difficulty, so to speak. We've never had to lay anybody off. No you know, none of the classic problems that, that you might expect to see. But I would say that feeling of walking in every day, knowing that, that you're not hated, but you're not respected, and actually the place that you've, you know, put your, you know, a good chunk of your life into creating, there's, there's a group of people there that don't actually respect that or want to work there for you or want to try hard for you. It got really tough. Yeah, of course. And with you being such a, a small-knit team in those earlier days, treading that line between being liked and being respected, it's something that is constantly in balance and it's so hard to get it right all of the time isn't it yeah it's really really tough like i say i've made some mistakes tried to be too pally didn't work out it's having that balance now and i think i think the best way to do that is is one potentially take the route that we've taken where you know i've kind of delegated a lot of the people management elsewhere but another way is just to demonstrate how professional you are you know demonstrate that you're you know a real human being that's still learning as well i think maybe we tried to conscious that we were new at the time bringing in people to the business and I think we tried to maybe appear more polished than we really were but now actually we just show we showed the rough as much as the smooth now to be perfectly honest and, and we're all in it together so Rob what do you believe are some of the fundamental beliefs or skills or attributes that you need to have to be successful in any business the classic answer would be things like resilience and hard work and work ethic but I think actually and it might sound corny but I think you've got to know yourself pretty pretty well and I don't think I did at the start. I don't think I knew that I was that emotive. I didn't know. I, I didn't realise that I was being how I was, if that makes sense, and how you react to certain situations. And I think the more you can understand about yourself and what works, what doesn't work, how to speak to different people, how people react to what you're saying, how you are around the office, 
all that kind of stuff has a massive impact on how the business ultimately performs. So I think knowing knowing yourself and knowing how you are and knowing how you can react to different situations is something you should understand as quickly as possible. And, you know, if something isn't working, try and do something about it. And if something is working, keep playing to that. That's a great answer, most definitely. Um, if you could pick maybe two or three of your own attributes that you believe have been fundamental to your own success, what would you say? I think appetite for risk. We haven't taken massive risks, but we've taken enough risk to say that I think we're risk takers now. I think we've been in situations where we've hired quite aggressively and taken a risk that we're going to get work to back it up. A calculated risk. A calculated risk, yeah. Sometimes I've had to, you know, me and Liam have had to say, well, it's, you've almost got to say to yourself, well, it's happened once, why can't it happen again, if that makes sense? And, yeah, just the ability to jump back from a knockback, I think, more than anything as well. We've had some knockbacks. I know I keep saying it, but I often can react to a situation quite badly, but I've learned to sort of jump back quite quickly now, if that makes sense. Accelerate more wins and not sort of dwell on too many losses. And what do you think people should know about being a business owner before they start, but don't necessarily or aren't necessarily aware of at the time? I think there's a lot of expectations to be set if you're thinking about setting up a business. I think expect you see these pictures, don't you? Expectation versus reality. I get it now from my mates. You must be great doing this. Must, must be great being able to go to the gym at three, you know, three in the afternoon, all that kind of stuff. And it is. Don't get me wrong. I'm very, very lucky to have the flexibility in my life that that I've got. It's come at a massive price. It's come at a price of time, sleepless nights. There's been times in my career where, despite how well we've been doing, I've looked at my mates who are in full time employment and been genuinely jealous that they can stick their feet up at 6pm and watch Coro and they I don't think they understand that I don't think a lot of people understand that and business isn't for everyone not everyone wants what I've got and all that kind of stuff I think people underestimate the amount of pressure that you put yourself under how that can affect your mental health how that can affect your physical health all that kind of stuff and I think people see the best version of what being a business owner looks like people don't actually see until now what you're doing with the podcast and all that stuff which I absolutely love massive fabric of that kind of stuff I don't think people understand the, the journey and the process and, until they get in the thick of it and then they might start to regret it or they might thrive on it but it's when you find out whether it's something that you're really passionate about and listening to your own podcast which you've done in the past which is called what it's really like yes i was listening to one of the first episodes on that and something that you talked about particularly in the, the earlier days which we have mentioned a couple of times already was just the time investment that it took to get the business off the ground and that was something that you were totally not expecting but didn't really think about at the time you don't see it and especially five or six years ago when it was even less common to see that sort of stuff online like you have to really you have to be in it or, or not at all i i think and you've got to dive in before you know if it's right for you or not. I don't think you can ever actually know if it's going to work unless you're going to do it. Luckily for us, it worked. And in terms of you know, why we wanted to stick that out, it was because you could see the light at the end of the tunnel. You hear so many stories about businesses that are taking all of investment and they're still making a loss each month, but they still carry on. Like Hats off to them people, because I don't know if I could do that. What really kept us on our toes was the fact that we were growing month on month, year on year. People were singing our praises, started to do well, essentially, and things started to go right for us, and that's what kept us going, really. Now, you've also mentioned that one of your strengths that you feel has contributed towards your success is being able to get not back, but coming back stronger. Can you take us back to the time of what you would consider to be one of your worst entrepreneurial moments? Is there a mistake or a situation that you look back on now and think should have handled that differently? Oh, God, there's been loads. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. There's lots of different situations. I, I don't handle losing a pitch very well. I take it quite personally because again, that's one of one of my roles. But I'm always analysing why. And if you can think about why you did that, I always ask for feedback. If we lose a pitch, I ask for feedback, and over time, you can start to understand what people are looking for and all that kind of stuff. Again, a few years back, I might have taken it really personally, and actually, the performance of the business was almost. I always felt that as a reflection on me. So, like a bad week or a bad day will turn into a bad week, and then it turn into a bad weekend. Misses will be upset with me. It would all go belly up, really. But now I can bounce back pretty quickly because I know we've got a good thing going on. And one not back doesn't equal a bad business or a bad, even a bad day necessarily, because ten good things can happen in a day. And in the past, I would, I would ignore them ten good things and just focus on the one bad thing that happened. So I think it is a mindset thing. 
you've got to have a good mindset. You've got to try and think positively. And it doesn't always go right for me. Sometimes, you know, I, I do fall off and just have a bit of a, you know, you have a bit of a worry, a bit of a, a, bit of a meltdown here and there. But generally speaking, I can pretty, I can bounce back pretty quickly and think about the positives. What's been the best piece of advice you've ever received and who was it from? I've never really taken much advice in terms of off-business people. It's been kind of a try and figure this out ourselves. But I think one thing I've, I've kind of listened out for is people around me, especially in the early days, saying just look after yourself. Like, And that obviously leads into the exercise, eating well, all that kind of stuff. Because I just remember people drilling into me. You're burning the candle at the both ends. You're going to burn now. And at the time, I was you know, 21, 22. I was thinking, I'm not invincible. I'm fine. I'm fine. We're doing well. Leave me alone. All of a sudden, you wake up one day and think, flipping egg. I have burnt the candle at both ends. So I think no matter how hard you want to work in the early days, no matter how well it's going, and I mentioned it earlier, it's better to work 12 hours a day at 90% than 16 hours a day at 75%. You've got to look after yourself. You've got to get your sleep in to look after your own well-being because the business can't function if you can't function. Do you read, Rob? Yeah. If you could recommend one business book to the listeners, which one would it be? I've listened to all your podcasts. I don't think this one's been recommended because it's not technically a business book but it's a book called The Chimp Paradox if you know it yes so it's all about mind management and you can relate it to business if you like but actually it's about again coming back to those bad situations and how you manage those bad situations and understanding how you sort your brain works when stuff like that happens and actually you can manage it and I think that's helped a lot that was a bit of a game changing book for me really really interesting so that's all about your sort of primal instinct brain and not letting that take over. Yeah. So when you see the donut, your chimp's telling you to eat your donut, yeah. but you can override that. Yeah, feeling. 100%. It's like, for example, you know, you lose a sale. You, you What they call the, the chimp brain is saying, you're a bad business person, you're a terrible salesperson, but actually you can control that and you can tell yourself the real narrative and not what almost the, the bad side of your brain is trying to tell you. And I think... Yeah, had a had a lot of effect on business life, personal life, everything. I think it was it's a really, really good book. And I actually went to a talk by the author, an event by Marketing Derby, actually. Uh, so I got a signed copy. Yeah, it's really well, cool. Is it Steve Peters, the author of that one? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, as with all the podcasts, for any resources, books, etc. that are mentioned, the show notes will include the links, which are at benjaminbrain.co.uk. So the link for that will be book will be there if you fancy checking that one out. So we've talked about the best advice you've received or the advice that you've sort of consciously looked out for in the past. Now, if you could go back to 21-year-old Rob, which is only sort of four or five years ago now, and you could give him one piece of advice to prepare him for the coming years, what would it be? I think it would be along the lines of strap yourself in and get ready because I don't think anybody could have told me what it was going to be like, how hard it was going to be, how long the hours were going to be. And just um, on that point, if they had, if somebody had come to you with a, a crystal ball and said, Rob, this is going to be you for the next four to five years. These are the hours that you're going to put in. These are the stresses that you're going to face. These are the sacrifices that you're going to make. Do you think at the time you'd have chose to continue? I don't know. I think if somebody could have held up a crystal ball and showed me flying the wall day in the office at Frog's Park now, then yes. But if somebody said, you've just got to back yourself and you've got to go through that and we'll see how it pans out, I'm not sure I would have had the balls. I really don't. <laughs> and it's, I appreciate your honesty, definitely. And I think, you, like you say, it goes back to what should people know about business before they start? They're all these unknowns and sacrifices and drains that it takes on your body and mind that people aren't necessarily aware of. Right, so we've, we've talked about, Rob, the chimp paradox and the one book that you recommend to the listeners. Now, if you had to write a book on your own journey in business so far, what would you title it? I had to th- think about this earlier. I think I'd call it something along the lines of manage yourself because before I could manage anything in the business, I had to learn how to manage myself. And I've spoke about it a few times, about the emotions. I've had my own anxieties in the business in terms of worrying how I react to certain situations. And I've learned the more I can learn to manage my own self and the techniques that I use to do that, the better the business has been able to become, the better me and Liam work together, so, you know, the happier the staff are. Generally, I'm not saying that's why the business has done well by any stretch of the imagination, but there is generally a correlation between how well myself and how Liam manages his self and, and sort of how the business seems to react towards that as well. Yeah, and there's a, there's a few things you've mentioned throughout the interview that time with the sort of the oxygen mask theory. So 
on a plane when the oxygen masks drop you put yours on oh, before yeah, you put 100%. anybody else's on so yeah. you've got to help yourself before you can help other people 100%. and that's something that you are clearly very conscious of and pays dividends as well yeah 100 percent. there's a lot of a lot of the pitfalls of the business over the years have been because of how me and Liam have been as individuals and we're not shy you know we don't shy away from that fact at all and we've had to learn how to manage that and I think you're completely right you've got to learn how to do something yourself before you can almost support somebody else doing it and if sometimes you've got to cut your losses as well sometimes you've got to say okay managing people isn't my thing let's get somebody in who's really good at that and that's what we've done as well so anywhere we can plug up gaps that me and Liam simply haven't got it in us to to really be efficient at or good at we've we've, we've plugged that gap up so we've kind of covered all areas now I think is there anybody in business, be it one of the more famous entrepreneurs or somebody in the industry or another industry that you particularly look up to, somebody that you maybe follow on social media that you aspire to sort of mirror some of their attributes? I don't think I really look up to people on social media and that kind of thing. I try and look at people a bit more closer to home, if that makes sense. So people who are in more relatable you know, positions to us. So I'd say somebody like Mark from Avit and, and Ash, I find them inspirational. I think, you know, they're they're in a similar situation for us. They've got bills to pay, they've got kids, they've got mortgages, all that kind of stuff. And they go through the same, you know, emotions that we go through every day. And it's sometimes I find a lot of comfort in seeing other people do that. I want to sit down with the likes of Mark and, you know, I go, oh, I'm having a nightmare with this, mate. And he goes, I am too. It's like kind of glad a little bit. <laughs> You're not the only one. Yeah, and then, you know, I've worked with some... I had one client, actually, who, same age as me, we worked on him on an, an application build, and he sold it to Co-op Health for about 10 million quid last year, so that was a nice one to... Wow. Obviously, I wasn't involved in it, didn't see any rewards from that financially, but actually just knowing the guy and knowing what he put into it, it was a good story to sort of be close yeah. to. Yeah, it's different, isn't it? When you hear about these stories in books and on videos, yes, you can believe it, but you don't have that... To have not seen it for yourself, yeah. it doesn't quite have that resonance. Whereas when you can see it for yourself, yeah. you have a, a connection to somebody yeah. who's put in the work and then you see those results. It's just add that extra layer of motivation and drive to see it actually happen in real life. 100%. He was just a young lad, lived in Ripley, baby on the way. So yeah, that that for me, I find inspiration in things more relatable to me because it's real then. You know, on social media, online, or you read a book, you don't really know what the recipe for their success was you don't see behind the scenes do you You just see they, what they want you to see they can say what it is but you don't know how much of that is marketing how much of that is storytelling all that kind of stuff but actually i know the ups and downs that, that people in my position go through and you see them having success that's that keep, kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit do you have any favorite quotes that you try to live by um not quotes so to speak a few things i like to sort of say in certain situations so one of them is i'm going to quote market like dr evil um <laughs> the attitude before a task is what determines the outcome so what i mean by that is if i go into a sales pitch thinking ah, i'm not going to win this i'm going to lose out to the bigger company down the road then you probably will but if you go in with a lot of confidence and you show you, you know what you're talking about you're kind of halfway there i always remember this you know i remember doing my exams in the second year of university first year of university i was petrified I was ringing Liam and I can't even go, mate. You can't, you can't even pick me up. And I flopped on my exams in the first year. Second year, I read this quote and I thought, I'm not even going to really worry about it that much. I'm just going to do my revision and see what happens. What's, so what's this one the, made a big difference then. What's the worst that could happen? And I did really well. And ever since then I thought, yeah, you've got to go in there and think you can do the best at the very least and just be confident in your ability. Right, so we're coming to the end of the interview now, Rob, and it's it's been another fascinating interview. I've genuinely loved every moment that we've been talking business together so far. But if you could recommend one resource for the listeners, be it an app, software, a video, or some sort of service, what would it be? I'm pretty basic. I have I've been through every single product management, productivity, software, all that kind of stuff you can think of. But I'm very much just plain and simple calendar. Live and die by my calendar, and that's anything from I've got a meeting calendar. I've got a work calendar in terms of tasks. So I actually schedule my tasks that I'm doing each day. I've got a personal calendar. I've got a gym calendar. <laughs> Everything. I live and die by the calendar. And it's a bit, you know, it might be a little bit rigid for some people, but it really helps me commit to certain things, if that makes sense. Well, the reason I put individual tasks in, and a task might be sales proposal for X customer it just means that if somebody says can we go for a coffee at 
on Thursday at half three. And I put that in there because I know it needs to get done. It doesn't shift. I stick to a task just as much as I would stick to a meeting with someone like yourself, let's say. So if it goes in the calendar, it gets done? It, one, it gets done, and two, it makes me respect my time a lot more. For me, I could easily say, oh, yeah, I'll meet you at half three, and then just shift that task I had in half three till seven o'clock that night, and then I'm working all night then. So it does make me respect my own time a little bit more as well. Okay, great tip. Do you have a particular calendar that you use yourself? Is there uh, an app calendar or just... Just Google Calendar hooked up to the standard iPhone and Mac calendar, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty plain, aren't I? <laughs> Simple but effective. And Simple I think that's effective. it. Sometimes we try to be more efficient and end up overcomplicating it and then yeah. just not doing anything. So exactly, sometimes yeah. keeping it simple is best, definitely. Now, we've talked about a lot over this last hour or so. If you could take everything that we've talked about so far and summarise three key points that you would give to somebody who's sat in front of us today that's about to start in business to give them the best chance of succeeding what would those three points be be yourself in terms of what i said about the networking situation like you know if you're trying to cover up certain situations you'll soon get found out anyway you might as well be yourself two is managing yourself so if you know if you react a certain way to a certain thing which might not be to the benefit of the business try and sort that out and if you can't sort it out delegate it and the third one would be to set your expectation. If you think it's really hard, it's probably going to be harder. So set your expectation early because then you can't be disappointed down the line. Brilliant. Three real good insights there. Thank you, Rob. And my final question for you today, if people want to find out more about Rob Twells or Frogspark, whereabouts can we find you online? So in regards to Frogspark, we're on all the social medias and it's at Frogspark Studio across all of them. And myself, it's at Rob Twells UK across Twitter facebook uh, and instagram and then linkedin just search rob tolls you'll find me i have got my own podcast uh, it's called what it's really like feel free to give it a listen yeah uh, highly recommended as well thank you very much and yeah look forward to chatting you on those platforms yeah excellent so make sure you give rob and the team a follow everybody well rob that's wraps up today's interview like i say love talking business with you i've learned so much myself and thank you for being so honest and sharing some great business wisdom and experience you've achieved a lot so uh, there's a lot to take from that Thank you for joining us on this Truth About Business. Thank you very much. No problem at all. And to the listeners, as always, thank you for your support. Keep getting out there. Keep making it happen. And look forward to catching up with you on next week's episode of The Truth About Business. One final thing before you go. If you enjoyed this interview and want to make sure you don't miss out on the next episode with another real-life business champion, make sure you subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, your favorite podcast app, or by visiting my blog at benjaminbrain.co.uk and hitting subscribe. At the blog, you'll also find the show notes to this episode, which includes all the relevant links to the website, social media channels, contact details, and anything else that was discussed in the episode. Just type in the name of the guest and that will bring that right up for you. And finally, I'm always on the search for great business owners who would be happy to spare just a couple of hours of the time to share their business experience with our audience. So if you know of anyone that would make a great guest or you'd like to feature yourself, just let me know. Send an email to hello at benjaminbrain.co.uk and I'll reply personally as soon as possible. Also, if you've got any feedback, questions that you'd like me to ask our guests or any other suggestions, I am definitely all ears. That email address again is hello at benjaminbrain.co.uk. So that's it for this episode. I just want to thank you sincerely for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay hungry, stay fearless, get out there and make it happen.